Welcome to Hunt Harvest Health Podcast with your host, Ryan Lampers, a.k.a. The Stealthy Hunter. Howdy. And myself, Dr. Hillary Lampers, where we share our love for ancestral living and the health topics of the modern age. Ryan is the well-rounded bearded brawn of Hunt Harvest Health. His knowledge of backcountry adventure, western hunting, and our household status as garden guru and super dad really defines our gut stealthy lifestyle. Doc Hillary is definitely the brains and beauty behind all of this. She kind of makes everything happen as I have zero technical skills. Hill is just a wealth of knowledge in all things medicine and nutrition, which not only keep our family healthy, but they help me stay strong in all my mountain adventures. You can follow us at huntharvesthealth.com, Instagram, and Facebook for more podcasts, recipes, and stories. I can talk about my hero. (laughs) (laughs) Quit it. Now now you can see me in person and I will blush. I'll do it away so I don't embarrass myself. (laughs) And the fact that he says that with his wife sitting right here. It just says you have a good marriage. Uh, he is like addicted to food preparation uh, and anything that has to do with uh, it's self-sufficiency. A, it's oh, a sickness, sweet. but it's a good sickness, I think. All right, let's do this. Okay, we are sitting here in, I don't know, where are we, Rockport, You're Washington? You're in Rockport. <laughs> We are out in homestead country right now, folks. We have a fire in the wood-burning stove, and we are looking at cows out in their field. Um, We are here with uh, Melissa K. Norris. She is the founder and uh, entrepreneur, online entrepreneur of Pioneering Today, uh, which is a podcast and a website. It's her platform. How long have you been doing that for? I actually started blogging. I looked this up. November of 2011 was my very first blog post. Wow. Oh, wow. So it's, yeah. been, a, it's been a while. Yeah. It has been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, and I only found you like uh, about a year ago. Yeah. yeah so Ryan came ago. home one day and was like, we just started the podcast. So December 24th will be our one year anniversary. Oh, okay. almost there. Yeah. So uh, he, it was probably January or when, whenever we had talked to you, it was kind of spring, right? Because we had yeah. had you on the podcast about planting um, your garden yeah. and picking seeds and soil. And we talked to you about that. But he had come home in like February or whatever and said, I want to have this gal on the podcast. I love her podcast because he drives a lot. So he listens to podcasts. And I want to have her on the podcast because she talks about all the stuff we love and stuff. And she just, she lives, she's local. Like I think she lives in Darrington or something. And so that's when we emailed you and asked you if you'd be on the podcast. And since then, you know, at that time, you had one book, I think, called The Made from Scratch Life. And I'm looking at it right now. It's a beautiful little book about, uh, it says here, Simple Ways to Create a Natural Home. So uh, we'll talk more about your platform here in a second. But when we first talked to you, you had this book. I think you just finished this book. Um, Recently, there was some stuff going on there. And so then we had you on the podcast. And since then, you have actually made a full-time job out of being an online homestead queen. Um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I do research too. I, um, like I said, I'm kind of busier with kids and stuff, so I'm not always able to sit down and really focus like I would like to. But I would, I was uh, stalking your Facebook page. And you just recently had an online program come out on, I think, making your own beauty products. Um, yeah. 
holy cow, you get a lot of interaction. Like you get tons of shares, tons of likes. I was like, and Facebook is hard anymore to get that type of interaction business wise. So I was like really impressed and I could see why you were possibly able to stop, quit your job and to make this because you've really worked hard, obviously since 2011 to make this happen. So you now just got done with your second book called Handmade and um, The Modern Guide to Made from Scratch Living. And so you have two books now. Very accomplished. And these aren't thin little books. They're, no, there's a lot of nice thought books. put into there for sure. So we, um, this time, and actually I'll tell you why I, I emailed you for the second time was because I was listening to your podcast one day um, and you were talking about a Forbes article that had been published on homesteaders homesteading being a delusion mm-hmm. is that right am i saying yeah. that right yeah basically yeah and so i listened to that podcast and i was like i need to have her on because i loved all the points that you made and you talked about that and i thought it would be really fun to kind of talk about just you know the way of life that you're living that we like to live um we li- we do it a little differently cuz we don't have cattle um we don't have as much land as you do um but we're we're a little bit more urban style farmer because we're just a little closer into town. That's yeah. really the only difference that we have. You know, we have a wood burning stove and we have all that. But yeah, we do what we can. We it's, do. It's yeah. really hard to go all in on certain things, but yeah. we do as much as we can. Yeah. Kind of a back to basics type approach. Yeah, in yeah. Our well, lifestyle. But I I thought God, like really is this what the is this what they're saying is, is that you're a freeloader? You know, you could talk a little bit about it, but I think the perception on that the public is seeing about this lifestyle, he was saying mainly comes from television shows of like these survival television shows, reality TV shows about people living off the grid and stuff. And so I just thought that'd be an interesting topic to talk about. Yeah, that was a really interesting article. And I do want to touch base too. You know, everybody's homesteading journey or if you, modern homesteading, whatever you want to call it, self-sufficiency, back to basics everybody's is going to look different and it should because everybody has a unique set of circumstances. I think the beautiful thing about it is you can bring elements of self-sufficiency and modern homesteading into your life, no matter where you live. Like you guys said, you're a little bit more urban style. I have what I call my apartment homesteaders. And I think that it's all valid and everybody's doing what they can with where they're at, you know, Mm -hmm. location, time-wise, experience level, all of that. So which I think is kind of one of the beautiful things about modern homesteading, honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. So that article, (laughs) yeah. So it was on Forbes and honestly, I think it was probably done with a little bit of clickbait in mind. So for those of you who are listening, if you're not very familiar necessarily with digital marketing or anything is it, they put an almost inflammatory title or article out there sometimes just because they think it will bring a lot of traffic. Now, I don't know that very well may be the gentleman's true opinion, but um, it was definitely inflammatory within self-sufficiency in the homesteading world. And his his basic premise and point was that modern homesteaders are, that it, it's a delusion to be self-sufficient, that you can't be self-sufficient. And if you are, that you are a drain on modern society because when you get sick or when you hit retirement, that you've been a freeloader within the modern society and our, you know, healthcare system and tax system and all of that was basically his premise. Um, And so I, of course, I actually sat and thought about it for a few days Mm -hmm. before I did my response, because I think our initial gut reaction is to always defend what it is that we believe. 
um, or you know what it is that we're doing. And I think sometimes we do have to look at that criticism uh, healthily wise, but we kind of need to think about it. Like, is there an element of that that's true or not? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I did as I, I really sat and kind of did some introspect on it for a while. And that's my stance is um, total self-sufficiency. Is that a delusion? Yeah, actually, in a way it is. But all of his other points were not valid. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think, you know, um, I don't know a whole lot of folks out there that are kind of pushing for a 100%, you know, off-grid, total self-sufficiency. That is, in today's world, probably impossible. Um, but, like, kind of our platform, doing a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, finding ways that, you know, first off, they're fun. Finding ways to save you money. Finding ways to procure a more healthy food. Um, these are just little things that you can do to be a little bit more self-sufficient. And like I said, there's so many advantages health-wise, money-wise. Um, and it's a fun thing to do. It's fun to really get into and see um, all these different ways that have kind of been lost in society today. And that's what really has, you know, that's gotten my full attention these days is more of that. Yeah. That back-to-basics approach. Um, I love everything about trying to figure out how to make my own, you name it, right? Yes. And, uh, and that's just how I am. And, and so I don't think, you know, there's a lot of us that like to be self-sufficient, more back to basics. I don't think any of us are saying totally go off grid, um, you know, no electricity, don't drive, don't have a vehicle, none of that. That's kind of, um, that's I mean, beyond be the totally scope of reality. I mean, even the Amish aren't, but they still, you know, I mean, they're pretty, if you've ever been in an Amish community, I mean, yeah, you can't believe people still live like that, you know, but they're also being part of their community and they're going out and working and they may have a horse-drawn carriage, but they rely on people in their community to help them. So it's sure. it's almost impossible to be like... Yeah, and my like point that. is there should be no shame in, you know, having an interest in being more self-sufficient. It's, that's kind of a, I don't know, I think in that article it it may have kind of just kind of been in their face, like that's what he was saying possibly. Um yeah, I think that's very shallow, but most of us that like this lifestyle, we're just trying to do bits and pieces, what we can. It makes it fun. It makes it interesting. It, it you know, it's just a better life in my opinion. Oh, I, I completely agree. And and a couple of the things is, is he was under the assumption, which I'm not sure why, because even the Amish pay taxes. If you live in the United mm-hmm. States and you're doing things ethically or right. on the book, so to speak, you're paying taxes. So the Amish pay taxes. They don't choose to use a lot of the, the benefits that you actually do get as, you know, being an American c- a citizen that we get. But same thing, homesteaders, we're paying taxes. Sure. I mean, you know, any income that we bring in, we're paying taxes on. We use hospitals on. if we have to. Yeah. I mean, we, sure. yeah. So I, I wasn't quite sure why he was under the assumption that homesteaders or self-sufficiency people aren't paying into the system. Um, Yeah. If there are a few people out there, I mean, it has got to be a minuscule amount compared to people who are just, you know, like similar to us, you know, we just kind of want a more simple approach to life. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'd be, I found what I found interesting about that conversation is, the idea that because you're not being a productive member of society, that you're somehow um, a freeloader was one part. And then the second part is that uh, the whole healthcare thing, right? Like, like almost like you have to be dependent on healthcare. <laughs> it's like, well, I bet if you did a study and you took people that were like, you know, like we are and um, 
who's actually healthier, right? Somebody who is working their land and eating healthier and making their food from scratch and knowing more of where their food comes from. And the people that aren't able to do that, living in cities, driving in traffic all day, That which, you know, we all do parts of that, right? Again, part of this conversation. But like if you were to take those two separate groups, it'd be interesting to like run their numbers on them, right? Like who is actually healthier? And my guess would be that I think the stress that's different types of stress, right? Because if you're a homesteader, maybe you're more financially independent. Maybe you don't have as much debt. Maybe you have more physical stress in your life, but you don't have as much like emotional and psychological stress from, you know, the bills and the big house and all that. So it'd be really interesting to see that. But the whole idea that, you know, Somehow, when we, you get old, you're going to suck the life out of healthcare because you were, you know, not contributing. As <laughs> well, like... I think just the fact that uh, you know a lot of us that are interested in this life, you know, a big reason is the health aspect of it, the food part. Yeah. Um, you know, I would venture to say, and I don't think I'm too far out there by saying it, that um, those of us that like this life are maybe a little more healthy than folks that just eat stuff out of a box at a typical grocery store and have absolutely no desire to know where their food comes from or where or what is actually in it. Um, I think being more educated on that, which comes along with being self-sufficient or reliant, I think that makes for a much healthier individual that's probably not going to be a drain as much on society. Um, as folks that have no idea or don't have any desire to know what they're actually taking into their body. Oh, definitely. And for me, it, you know, the old saying, the proof is in the pudding as about eight years ago, which the first book I made from scratch life really starts to document that. But, you know, we I always have been really lucky as I, I grew up as a homesteader. I mean, my dad always had beef cattle and we did a vegetable garden and my mom canned. Um, we didn't raise our own pork or have our own chickens, but So I came from that standpoint where you grow and put up a lot of the food that you eat. And my mom cooked mainly from scratch just because when you live this far out, there's not, there's not drive-throughs, you know, there's not takeout. It's almost, you just kind of have to. Yeah, you don't have choices out here. Yeah, you don't have, yeah, you can't just decide to run to the deli and grab, you know, whatever for for food. But most of it was out of necessity. So my dad was self-employed. He was a logger that was kind of at the the height of the timber industry here in the Pacific Northwest. And so uh, when you're self-employed, sometimes you do great and other times you don't. And so we always had enough, but there wasn't a lot of extra money. And so even the convenience items at the store weren't necessarily options. So my mom cooked a lot from scratch. So I grew up with that. And then, you know, I was, you know, working and, and had my kids and stuff. And so we still did quite a bit of canning and preserving and we had our own beef, but I was buying things from the store, you know, everybody and not reading labels and my health really, really suffered. Um, And so when I started investigating our food and reading labels and finding out about GMOs and hydrogenated fats and just all of the the processed stuff that what it does to our foods and how we have to have vitamins, you know, enriched back in because they've been stripped out and just all of that and really started making huge um, strides in how we ate and really getting back to more whole foods, my life completely changed from being on prescriptions to not, you know, my quality of life. So... Like you said, you know, was there a study? Well, I kind of feel like I'm a living study because I've been right. a, on the spectrum of, you know, having my scope, my stomach scoped and, and biopsy on my esophagus and my stomach to now, you know, that I don't want to say a 180 degree turnaround, but almost <laughs> pretty close. And so it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, there's something to be said about um, in medicine, we call it um, anecdotal evidence. 
So medicine is heavily based on research and, uh, and if there's not a lot of research on something, it's not as, it's not weighed as heavily as being that. And we do know that research is always changing and that maybe 10 years from now, there'll be enough research to say like, oh, it does actually work. But we do know that anecdotally, when, especially when you do clinical medicine, you start seeing things in your clinical population that's changing by something you're doing. And there may not be a ton of, of clinical uh, or like research behind it, but you can, you know that it's changing people. And so clinicians, we tend to do a lot of anecdotal work because we see things work and it's the same, you know, it, there, there are basic things in life, I think, especially with healthcare that you will see a change in people you diet is by far the biggest thing you, I tell patients all the time, you know, we talk about this. I talk about it with other colleagues. It's like, Today, people are just in a hurry and they have so many options and they just want the pill or, you know, that's why pharmaceuticals are so big. They've preyed on that piece of us that we want the easy route. We all really want the easy route, unless maybe you're Ryan and, you know, you want the harder route, but (laughs) like how many miles can I walk to get that animal? You know, most people like they'd rather only walk, you know, this and so we, we tend to, route. yeah, so <laughs> we tend to, as a species, you know, we want to make it easier on ourselves, And then the pharmaceutical companies have played into that. Um, and even the supplement companies have played into that. And um, even the food industry has played into that heavily, right? And, and now we're seeing that, I mean, just anecdotally, if you get people to change their food, they get better. Yeah. Whether it's like, you know, 10% or it's that 90% they needed, they do improve. And so I can, I can not just prescribe things to a patient without them understanding that diet is really the foundation. Right. Yeah. And it's so true. And so anecdotally, we see so many things that maybe research has improved or the medical establishment would say, oh, that doesn't make sense. You know, most medical doctors are not even trained in nutrition. No, they have such a short span. It's amazing. So so that's basically saying to the patients that they treat, well, we don't know anything about nutrition. It must not be important. It's yeah, we, they don't is, teach us, and we're doctors. Diet you know? is rarely implemented by, and it's getting more so. Though I will say that there are there's a big movement in functional medicine and medical. You know, classically con- trained doctors who medical doctors who are having to seek them that out themselves, right? Because of the information age now, they have the ability to do that. Um, but also back when my grandparents were young, like us or younger, and they were going to the doctor, or they were children, the doctors back then, they didn't, they didn't always have the benefit of penicillin. They didn't have the benefit of the pharmaceutical drugs. And so they were doing more of those things. They were using herbs. They were, diet was key, you know, um, uh, lifestyle was key and these little things. And so it's kind of like we skipped, we had a big period there where, you know, uh, that post-war era where it was like food, Betty Crocker and, you know, penicillin was the miracle drug and, um, you don't even really have to work out. You wear that abdominal thing and it just shakes your abdominals and you know what I mean? And the TV, probably the invention of the TV alone changed the entire makeup of like our existence. And so I think that there, but there's always going to be those fundamental things that are, that are forever going to make the biggest difference. And diet is definitely like the foundation. Yeah, it, it really is. 
And I think too, we're really blessed in a time period where we have the benefit of modern technology yeah. and our modern healthcare system. I mean, my daughter has von Willebrand's disease, which is a blood clotting oh, disorder. Yeah. And we are so fortunate to have the knowledge that we have now. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, if she was in a serious accident or something like that, I mean, she could just bleed to death. Well, now there's actually, she has a, a stymate, a nasal spray that she can take um, that will give her blood levels out of normal for a short period of time in a traumatic type situation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, 20 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, that wouldn't have been an option. Right. So I think one of the beautiful things about right now is we're starting to swing away from you take a pill for everything instead of actually treating the disease, you're just putting a Band-Aid on a symptom. And I think even within modern society more and more that there's this desire, which is why it's so much fun to be able to talk with people like you guys and with you know your listeners and my listeners because there's that desire to learn that holistic part and to bring them both together so that it's a balance of both. Because penicillin was a wonder drug for a reason. I mean, a lot of people died of common infections. And when this came out, you know, so I, I don't want to v- totally villainize all yeah, of the modern I don't, healthcare. I don't, don't want to villainize. I just want people to understand that kind of diet has always been very important, right? And we, oh, yeah. And we need to kind of, we always need to remember that whether you're a medical doctor prescribing a drug, you know, you should be understanding the diet that your patient is eating. I always yeah. think about that. Whether you're not prescribing drugs, you know, you should understand what your patients are eating because that's something they do all the time, every single day. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the nutritional aspect. I see nutrient deficiencies in people these days. It's crazy. Like with the amount of choices and things, people are nutrient deficient. And that to me is like kind of wild, right? Like I would think back to my grandparents' age, right? When infection, the depression, like when your dad lived, like yeah. it would seem like that would be the norm, nutritional deficiency. We see it, we see it in middle class, like average people. Um, Do you think nutrient it's... Nutrient deficiencies. I think it has to, I think it has a lot to do with, um, you know, long-term gut health for one. Um, and the, the food that's kind of destroyed it, probably medications over time, stress, um, a lot of these different things, you know, I, I believe. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be more in line with, especially today's fast food approach? It's like, um, just poor decision-making at the, at the food end of it. I mean, that's gotta be number one, right? Well, I guess decision-making is part of everything, right? That's yeah. our cerebral cortex is what differs us from the animals. We have the ability to make a choice. And that choice sometimes may, maybe if we're young children and our parents' choice was just always McDonald's and Starbucks every day, every day, every day, right? Like that becomes your normal and then your body just craves that food, right? So you have to make a choice to change that. Um, I don't know. It's so difficult. But the convenience thing is for sure it's easy. Well, I mean, we've yeah. talked about this before. I think I, it'd be my opinion. It's probably wrong um, that most people today, if they are deficient and let's face it, a lot of people are or they're unhealthy or they, you know, possibly be overweight. I think all we have to do is go to the, any grocery store, whether it's yeah. a Safeway, a Walmart or a Freddy's. You just look at the carts and look at what's in them. I mean, it is a sugar OD in almost every cart you see, it's pretty rare. It seems like it's, I don't know, what, maybe 5% of the folks in there don't come up and show up at the checkout line with a full cart of soda and boxed foods and sugary this or that or the other ice cream. And uh, it's just a small amount of people that 
aren't doing that. Whereas the lion's share is full of soda and processed foods. That would be my uh, opinion on why people are more Yeah, well, definitely deficient. if grocery stores and were I don't know if different, that's, maybe people would make different choices. I don't know if that's uneducated or not being educated or if it's just easier or if it's cheaper. Probably a combination of all three. I think you're right. I, th- I think it's a combination of all three. I mean, because I didn't know... I didn't know a lot of that. I mean, I thought, you know, I was cooking a lot, what I considered at home. You know, I wasn't going and buying takeout or just like frozen foods. But a lot of times we don't even realize, I mean, even flour, unless you're grinding your own flour, all of your flour is enriched with vitamins and our bodies don't absorb the nutrients from food when it's enriched with or it's vitamin form as they do when it's just in its natural form. And so, I mean, that's one of the reasons we started, I got a wheat grinder and we started grinding our own flour at home. But there's just so much that you, you don't know. And I, I think that plays a part, right? I think part of it is convenience too. And I think, Hillary, I think I completely agree with you on the gut health. And especially when you've been on medications, like I was on proton pump inhibitors, yeah, which is Nexium, Prilosec, all of those. Over time, they actually block you from absorbing. Right. And so you don't. You may be eating these foods, but if your gut health is poor, your body can't even bring them into your system. So they're just getting flushed out of your system right. without being used. So I, I think definitely a combination yeah, there is, there is that because I went through that, you know, when we ran my blood numbers, I don't know, it's a number of years ago. Um, and again, we've talked about this before as well, but it proves the point, you know, we eat pretty dang good mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we eat a lot of great meat and great protein and veggies and all that. And my numbers came down pretty poor. Even my protein count was bad. And that was just, you know, because my gut was not absorbing it. So it was basically like I was eating cardboard. And yet I was consuming all this high quality food, but it wasn't doing anything for me. So it took me building my gut back up to where I actually benefited from the foods mm-hmm. I was eating. So there's a whole lot of wasted dollars there eating great food, but getting no benefit. And um, yeah, I was actually not healthier at that point. I was actually, that's why we had my numbers checked is my immune system yeah. was shot and I was getting sick a lot. And it was simply because I wasn't getting any nutrition out of all the food I was eating. So. Yeah, convenience has also taken over, you know, I mean, you can go into Whole Foods and everything is like packaged, pre-packaged, ready to go, eat it right now. It's healthier. It's at Whole Foods and you're going to pay 20 bucks for it. But it's still that same idea, right? Like everything is the convenience and the quickness of things. And I think that maybe where homesteading may scare people or or like what we're doing. That's one of the big questions we get. Is it really time consuming to grow a garden? And you're like, "Yeah." yeah, it is. Um, is it really hard to like hunt and get your own meat? Yeah, it is, right? It's work. Um, and maybe it's more about instilling in people the return of hard work in a way that's that's like beneficial and rewarding. Instead of like hard, you need to do hard work to get somewhere in your life so destroy your health and all this other stuff and then wake up one day and realize like, God, I worked hard my whole life and I feel like crap, right? Yeah, it's that hard work that's worthwhile. It it does reward you in a way that it was worth it for sure. I mean, like you mentioned hunting or gardening. Just take gardening, for example. Yeah, it's a ton of time. It's a lot of thought. You know, there's a lot of planning involved. There's, you know, an endless amount of work all summer long. And then, you know, obviously there's the preparation for the, for the garden after the fact, the canning and the preserving and the dehydrating and all that. Yeah, it's a ton of time, but I think it's a good way to live because you are taking in all that stuff. You know where it came from. You, you know what you're 
you know, taken in, but it's fun. I mean, it's fun. And it, it, you know, I think it stimulates my mind to where I just enjoy figuring those things out. Like, oh, I can grow this. I can grow this better by doing this. And, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard, but I think it's well worth it. Yeah. I have to say too, is I think anything when it's new to you is hard Mm -hmm. and it's going to be time consuming. But even with the gardening, you learn how to do things better and more efficient, the more that you do it. Yeah. And once you get your garden established, it's anytime you're putting in anything new. So if you're putting in a new garden, better. But once you get it established, really the the maintenance of it is, you know, a few hours, definitely a week. But, you know, like especially when I was working at the pharmacy up even until August and September was harvest time, you know, I would do a little bit in the morning. I had 20 minutes. We'll go out and get this done, you know, and then you have, you know, 30 minutes at night when you come home. How many of us spend 20 minutes in the morning watching TV or 30 minutes watching TV when you get home from work? So it's just looking at, you know, sure. you got to take some of that stuff out and put yeah. it in. But it's it's so rewarding. And you can do a lot convenience-wise. Canning is a lot of work. But when you can can 19 jars of something at once in your yeah. pressure canner, and then all you have to do is open up like you know, three jars of different things and throw it on the stove and heat it and dinner's on Absolutely. 10 minutes, yeah. homegrown, totally from scratch. So I, I think it's just, it's thinking of things in a, a different way, it's thinking of your convenience items in a different way. Right. Yeah. I've heard you talk many times how nice it is to just go to the pantry and I feel the same way. I mean, we just, you know, we don't have to go to the store if we don't want to, you know, for a little low on something, we'll just go to the pantry and pull it out. And, um, you know, the canning part, yeah, you get a lot better at it. In the beginning, it's very intimidating. It's it is. scary. In, yeah. In fact, you know, you you hear of, you know, those big words like botulism or, you know, these scary things that really a lot of people probably are so intimidated they just never start. But there's simple ways to get around that. It's, you know, it's following a, a tried and true formula and, and um, you know, eventually you don't have to worry about those things. It's pretty easy. So I know... Um, I think you've talked about as far as the canning aspect, I, I, I heard you mention about like the all American, which is the exact canner that we've got. It's a giant canner. So you can do a ton of jars. Yeah. You can do 14 pint jars at a time, which is pretty dang fast. And, you know, canning green beans or, or whatever you're canning. So you can accomplish quite a bit in a short amount of time if you have the right equipment and the knowledge and the know-how. So my question to you for people who are just getting started in this kind of a, I don't know, we could keep throwing around the term back to basics, but want to be a little more self-sufficient. What are some things that have helped you or what are, what are some of the most important pieces to like a self-starter, someone who wants to do a few things in their life to change, um, to get more self-sufficient with food prep? Yeah. I always say, and you you just qualified it there, as you said, with food prep, I always say to start in the kitchen because no matter where we are, even if you're in a little apartment, you still have some type of kitchen unit or a kitchen base. And so I think with this whole lifestyle, that's really kind of where it all starts and the foundation of it. But what I say is to look in either your fridge or is to kind of document for a week, what, what are you eating? You know, just really document it and you'll start to see a pattern because we all have certain foods that we eat almost on a daily basis or every other day. You know, we eat frequently. And so identify what those are and then pick one of those items that you're buying from the store that you're buying, you know, pre-made. And this is going to vary for some people because for some people it may be yogurt. And we think of yogurt as kind of being a staple item. Well, 
to start making that yourself at home, right. you know, and for other, it's just going to vary for everybody on, on whatever it is, but just pick that one thing, find a way to make it at home from better ingredients, um, and from scratch and let that become a normal part of your routine. Because after a while it is, I mean, like I've got, you know, bone broth going right now where you guys just came in and, and getting ready to can that up. So I don't buy any broth from the, from the store, but that wasn't always the case. You know, I used to just open and, you know, you'd have your cans of broth that you would buy at the store and I still was cooking from scratch. So it's depending on where you're at in your journey, but finding that one thing, making it a part of your normal routine so that you don't stress yourself out, you get over the learning curves. And then when it's just normal, then go and pick that next item or that yeah. next thing. And, you know, some people are going to be like, I'm just jumping in full feet. That's kind of how I am. It's funny. Hillary and I were talking about, you know, where you jump with no net. Yeah, I tend to be that kind of person. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'm not starting with one thing. I'm going to do at least three. <laughs> so do your three. If that's if you're that kind of person, then pick your three. But pick the three and just start there. And then you'll slowly add. You know, you're yeah. going to... like. Probably with you guys too. I know with me, I'm always adding in a new skill set. Like now I'm like so gung-ho. I'm like homemade soap. I'm so excited. We just butchered our beef and our pigs and I got my lard and my tallow in the freezer and I can't wait to render it down and make all my own soap from our own tallow and lard. Oh, that's awesome. Like I'm super wow. excited. So, because I've never, I've been making soap, but now yeah. with my own total fat source, right? So that's cool. And yeah. And that's funny out. because you mentioned that and I have brought this up to Hill because I get on the soap making kick every once in a while. And I've just never completed it. You've never and finished actually it. made it. Every no, time I, I ordered because I saw, uh, this is funny, you know, this reminded me, I forgot about this. I saw on your website, on your Facebook that you were doing the soap making class. And so, I don't know, I was laying in bed one morning. It was like Saturday morning with my, with Paley. And we were, you know, we like sometimes go through Amazon or we look at pictures or whatever. And I thought, I think we should make some soap. And she's like, yeah, well, he has all this bear fat Ooh. that he, we just sitting in a cupboard that we haven't like, like jars of it. We brought you a jar of it today. Oh, yay. I haven't so, opened the bag yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I thought, you know, uh, I, I kind of had this joke last year with my girlfriends. We were joking about making soap out of bear fat and selling it to metrosexuals so that they feel very manly and they're washing with bear fat. <laughs> and my girlfriend was like, oh my gosh, I think you can make a fortune off that. Well, I don't think legally I can no. sell bear fat soap, but I have all this. And so we ordered all these soap plastic thing, ones with little flowers in it so we could, and then I ordered the lye. And I ordered, and then it's sitting in a cupboard, and I haven't done it yet. So I am like re literally one step away. I know, from and I, I've been wanting soap. to do it for a while. And I've, you know, Paley, it's fun to do with the kids. I think that's where probably the most benefit for me is just sitting down with the kids and making soap. I think they'd have a blast doing it, and it'd be beneficial. You know, we could use it, but um, I just think uh, it would be a fun project. And I've been wanting to do it for so long. And uh, I've heard you talk about smell? it. For s Does the lard smell like an animal? Lard, lard doesn't smell. And, and when you render it, at least when I render it and I do our lard, is I actually do three renderings from all the same fat. And so your first rendering is the most pure. And if you're able to butcher it yourself or you have someone butchering it and you can you know, talk to them, uh, you want the leaf lard. So that's the, the fat around the, the kidneys and the organs is your most pure form. So that's what I 
So yeah. my first running, that's the most white, it's most pure. That's what I use for my baking. So I have lard that I'll use, you know, in making pie mm. crusts and pastry and that because it essentially is odorless and tasteless. Then you've got your second rendering and I will still use that, um, you know, for cooking. Is, and then you have your third rendering, which is the darkest. It's still really not that porky in regards to lard. Um, but that's what I'll use. Like there's some things you want that pork to sense. Like if you're doing tortillas or different things like that, it's actually really good to use those that have a little bit of the flavor. Mm. Not really a lot of scent. I mean, who doesn't like the smell of bacon, right? But it's not I even do. that strong. I like it. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's but... a little bit. So like if I was going to be using it, you know, and then too, I mean, when you're putting it into the soap, You've, you've got your lye water, of course, and then a lot of times you'll mix it with some different oils because the different oils give different properties to your soap. So if you want more of a lather, you know, you want a harder bar, softer bar, whatever, um, then you're going to mix that in with those oils. And then if you're going to be putting in any herbs or essential oils and stuff, so you're not going to get a ton of that smell. And that's part of the rendering is you're taking the meat out. So you just have the purity of the fat. And right. so you're removing a lot of those impurities well, or what would give scent. kind of strong smelling. I have to say, I've never dealt with bare fat. So. It's not bad. No, it's not bad. No, but it's very manly smelling. Yeah. I mean, I, so I was wondering, like, if you, the way you cook it is, um, that's why I wanted to try it. I wanted to see what the, if you add essential oils, if it will take on the smell of that or if it will still kind of have that. It's good for cooking. Like, if you're oh, cooking yeah. certain things, it's great for cooking. But, um, like, I, they said men used to use it to grease their hair. And, like, I can't imagine Ryan greasing his hair in that. No, instinct. that was, like, It'd old like, wives' tales, yeah. you know. Well, didn't, didn't the Indians used to use that for, for to keep the as, like, an insect repellent? Yeah, to I mean, that, it's... And I think it became, like, this tonic, Just something that was said. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, bears have a lot of hair. So, people are like, oh, oh. I want to grow more hair. I want to keep the hair okay. I got. So, they put that on their head. I was thinking they got no to, like, No research to it at all. It's just, oh, bears like are hairy. <laughs> Maybe that'll keep the hair. I'll put a bunch of bear oil on it's my like, head. All it, right. Your hair is growing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like the smell of it. I like rendering it down. It's fun to me. Yeah. We got a lot of it. Just, we got a lot of it. So I was going to make some soap out of it and see. Yeah. And happened. you could even mix the fats, you know, like you sure. could use some olive oil or some yeah. coconut oil, you know, depending on what, you know, properties you want in there. And then that's going to cut it down too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, we're going to okay, make soap so at some point. Soap making food preparation. What are some other things that you're super into? Let's talk about beauty care products. Cause you're kind okay. Of yeah. That, I'm, right? I'm such a girly girl homesteader. Yeah, like for okay. real. Okay. And, and let's right, talk about that because I'm just, <laughs> no, just going to, well, men do it too. Men use beauty care products. They're not using mascara and most men aren't, you know, putting makeup on, but, um, I hope not. yeah, but, um, men do use like deodorants. They use, um, smelly things sometimes that aren't very good you look at the ingredients they're horrible and they're going straight into your circulation when you put them on your body like aluminum yeah like cattle yeah. synthetic fragrances but yeah. the other thing is is i do deal with um obviously women spend most of the healthcare dollar uh they tend to come in when they're sick they bring their kids in men tend to spend they come in when they're urgent usually but so you see a lot more women, you see a lot more healthcare problems with women and thyroid is a big condition. And, um, I know you have some history with thyroid stuff and I, I see with, especially autoimmune, like Hashimoto's is one of the big pieces of it is I tell, um, the gals, okay, you have to get off. You have to quit wearing the toxic makeup and the body lotions and the sprays and the deodorants and the shampoos that have all these like 
you know, estrogen mimickers and plastics and all the things that, you know, we've talked about on the show before that Mm -hmm. we talked about it mainly with men and testosterone and how it's basically destroying men's testosterone, all these estrogen mimickers. Yeah. But I do tell the women that too, because women are like lathering themselves in products every single day, sometimes from the time they're like 13 until, you know, they're like my grandma, 84, you know, they're, they're led lipsticks and all that. So I see that you're making your own beauty products. So let's just talk a little bit about that because I think it's important to. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. Your, the hormone, you know, we don't think about it, but if you look at ingredients, I mean, this is where we were talking about label sleuthing. And at first I started with food and then it kind of moves to your cleaning products. And then of course, beauty products, if you're a lady and all that, but soy is such a huge one and it's in so many things. It's just amazing. But then you've got all of these other, you know, synthetic chemicals. And there was a study, um, I have the source, I can give you guys the links, but 25% of women are exposed to 168 chemicals on a daily basis. Right. Just 168. I mean, that's a daily load. That's right. just mind boggling to me. I mean, and I was one of them because I go out and, you know, I help my husband hunt. I've helped him drag the deer in before from the field and all of that. But I still like to be girly and I like my lip gloss and I like I like makeup. I just do. And so that was a that was a big one for me when I first started trying to find better alternatives because I'll be honest, a lot of the stuff that I tried at first, I knew it was better for me, but if it doesn't work as well, then you're kind of at that crux. Like yeah. I don't want to waste my money on stuff that I feel is, you know, inferior as far as its quality, even though it does have better ingredients. And so that can kind of be a struggle. Sure. So I really started, you know, looking at things and, um, so mineral powder foundation, the powder, that one was easy fix for me. Then you can start to get into your costs because I'll be honest for natural organic makeup that works well, you do start to pay a higher dollar for it. And there's lots of reasons for that. I mean, that would be an entire another episode (laughs) as we get into that. But so I started, I did, I started making a lot of it myself because I could do it a lot more frugal and I am a total do it yourself geek. Like I want to know how to make the homemade version. You know, that's the modern homestead coming out in the DNA there. So I really found that just doing herbal infused oils and butters, I mean, your basis, you know, olive oil, coconut oil, cocoa butter, shea butter, you can do so much, a little bit of beeswax, depending on, you know, the product, just those base things, you can make so much. You can, I make beeswax candles in a mason jar using lard, or you can use coconut oil, you know, and then whipped body butters, which they just smell so good, but they actually work better because they don't have water in them. Because anytime we add water into anything, you have to put in some type of preservative. And as far as my research shows, I've not found any natural preservative that actually will keep bacteria at bay when you have the introduction of the water. And people will say to use vitamin E oil, that's not a true broad spectrum preservative yeah. as far as keeping bacteria That's why out. they're using paraben. So if you yeah. have some product and you see like a mouthful of paraben or a paraben in it, it's because they have to preserve it. Because most of the time, what are women doing with their beauty products? They're sticking their finger in it and then putting on their face and shutting it up. And what is that? That's just introducing bacteria into it, right? Yeah. So if you're not using it up quickly, if you're using it in a timely manner or not, or keeping it in the fridge, sometimes that'll help too. But yeah. So I just started playing around with things. And so now I'll, you know, hand cream, I use all whipped body butters, um, hard lotion bars, because once you don't have that, plus water is not actually moisturizing to our skin internally. Yes, we need to stay dehydrated. But as far as using water-based stuff on your skin, it actually doesn't help 
it that's why we put lotion on, you know, in the winter, you'll put lotion on and your skin's really dry. And it's like, gosh, 30 minutes later, it feels like you didn't put anything on. So when I switched over to doing a lot of, and then the beeswax is a wonderful hemoic tint to the skin. So it actually helps draw the moisture in. So I was actually able to make them way cheaper than I could buy them in the store with ingredients that I use. I don't use beeswax in my cooking, but almost all the other ingredients. And so it was just that self-sufficiency thing. I've just got this base of ingredients and I can make, you know, soap, candles, lip balm, and my own lipstick. So Mm. that was really fun for the girly girl part was to be able to play with some of those different colorants and make my own custom shade of lip balms and lipsticks and finding out what works and what doesn't. So for example, beetroot powder does not work in lipsticks. It works in soap because it's water-based. It doesn't work in lip balms because that's oil-based. And so it just ends up staying in these little beads. You don't actually get any color and it's really gritty. Mm. So it was just discover, you know, just playing and discovering all those other things. So it, it was a lot of fun. Oh, and I just had a blast. And so, yeah, so that's, and a lot of that's in um, handmade is making, you know, soap making is yeah. in there cool. along with recipes and stuff. So, yeah. I am going to take this book and make some soap with my soap molds that oh, I have. Oh, the kiddos have. are going to love doing that. I should have done that before Christmas. Yeah, I, I will know. say with kiddos and soap making, so the lye water is very, very toxic, especially the fumes when you first mix it. So that's okay. not something you want to do with the kids in the room. But melt and pour bases are great if you really want the kids to be involved or if you want to be involved with soap making is do your lye water um, the fumes usually within about two to three minutes is is gone, and then you'll mix that in with the fats and let that start to come to trace, and then they can be in the room um, and and be a part of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Cool. Um, anything else that you love to do? That's kind of part of your repertoire as far as do it yourself stuff. Well, I think we covered my my main loves there. We talked about mason jars yeah. <laughs> and canning. We've talked about the mason jars thing. <laughs> uh, we're sitting in your house here, and yeah, I've already noticed a lot of mason jars. Kind of yeah. like our house. They're uh, yeah, I have mason jars in pretty much every room. In fact, last year for Christmas, my son got me a, a mason jar with a handle um, because he knew that would be mom's favorite for a drink. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm like, you know Fancy. so well. Yeah, I saw those in, uh, I think it was like a co-op the other day. Yeah. yeah, Paley, actually, when we go to the store, she loves to go to the dish section. You know, I, I when we got our new kitchen, I kind of let her pick out the dishes. We have a mishmash I let her pick out. And uh, she likes colorful stuff, and she likes pretty stuff. She likes elegant types of things. And she's like, Mom, look at those glasses. They're like real glasses. They're not mason jars. They're not mason jars. And I'm like, you know what, honey? I think um, your dad's already going to complain about the very bright colored like circus like dishes um i think if we come home with real glasses he's not gonna like that so <laughs> let's pass on that because we have a you know we use the mason jars and it's fine we're used one to thing it. i found it's definitely not like the norm because every time i break out a mason jar it's got like maybe i'll have some electrolytes in a water and i just that's just my water bottle right a mason jar most people are like, what do you got, moonshine in there? It's usually that. <laughs> okay, so I had kombucha at work, and oh. I had it in a mason jar, so I always just keep yeah. it in glass. And so I had kombucha that was just sitting on the, the edge while I, at the pharmacy when I was working. And you cannot guess how many people came in and asked me if I was drinking moonshine. I'm like, yeah, yeah my boss is standing right there, and he has no problem with me drinking moonshine on the job. No, it was so funny, but yeah. So, if you yes. open kombucha, it kind of smells like moonshine. Can, yes. You, you should be, be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that was really fun because then when I actually told them what it was, was they're like what yeah so yeah anyways it it, it sparks a really fun interesting conversation yeah i know my kids are growing up just thinking it's normal but it's definitely not the norm 
Yeah, I see a little bit more of it here and there, but yeah, I'm definitely the only person in yoga class with a mason jar for my 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 drink um, bottle. Water bottle. And you know what? It's because we have well, the water it's glass. bottles. It's better for you. We get yeah. the water bottles, even the stainless steel ones, the nice ones. They stink. We, and you know what? I did a gut test on a patient. And it came back, some of his bacteria, you know, it's a bacterial test of all your microbiome. And he had this one high level of this one type now. And I can't even tell you all the names of these bacteria. And the doc I always reference with the lab so they can help me walk through this before I talk to the patient. And he, she says, um, does he drink out of a lot of water bottles? Like plastic, plastic. or um, yeah. just even the steel water bottles. She says, uh, there's, we're finding this type of bacteria gut bacteria is increased elevated by drinking out of water bottles hmm. and it lives in there and it's water bottles that you wash so even if it's so even aluminum the steel is it because you can't see you can't get in there and you got can't all the crud. clean it like if the top's only that big and the bottle's that big you might take a brush and go in or take mm. a sponge you rinse it out you shake it out and then the lid that goes on is got crevices people aren't like cleaning out the crevices yeah, i could they're see that because it, and then they're putting the top on and 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 then the water's sitting in there if so you there's can't, a bacteria if you can't see that. the underside definitely like the aluminum or the colored water bottles you don't know if it's clean or not yeah. you're hoping it is but in a in a mason jar you're seeing right in there. Oh, it's yeah. Like, oh, oh, well, you can stick your hand in and clean it. It's glass. The you wide see mouth. It. So, yeah. yeah. After she told me that, I was like, disgusting. Oh, that's interesting. See, I have some of the stainless steel water bottles, but they're the wide mouth, they're mm. the wide mouth uh, lid ones. Yeah. Right. That I do use those for travel because can mason jars do well, yeah. break. You, you know what? Like, <laughs> I have to say, yeah, the, the shatter factor of how that happened. And then I'm mad because I'm like, oh, I just broke a mason jar. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you, we do do these things. But, but on a daily basis, I yeah. I think like a yeah. lot of people, um, I've seen it with Ryan because he drives a lot. He'll have his stainless steel container. He'll fill that up and then he'll fill up another bottle with his electrolyte drink. And he's taken those because, you know, or he'll do the mason jar if he can't find his bottles is usually what it is, you know, or we've it's in the car or something. But when I heard that from her, she said, yeah, it's just a bacteria that it's not like necessarily harmful. Like it's not causing us. We don't really know. Oh, but we're seeing an There's elevation rise, in this and people that are huh. drinking out of water bottles. So, um, you know, all these little things that we're doing, our bacteria, I mean, there's things that like going on inside our bodies to compensate, make up. Like yeah. we're introducing things into ourselves all the time that our immune systems are having to, you know, navigate. And, um, yeah, the whole water bottle thing, because, you know, nobody ever drank out of a water bottle. There's a garden hose growing up. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> no, I mean, even the, yeah. even the idea of bottled water, my grandpa told me once, he said if, because he was a big, um, he was a big, uh, who's the Arlington baseball team, Texas Rangers. So my grandpa was Texan. My grandparents were Texans and he would go to the Rangers games and since he was young kid, right? And then start going and now it's like a, 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 a glass of beer at the game is like two fifty, and a bottle of water is five bucks. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, if yeah. you would have told me that a bottle of water was going to cost more than a beer, I would have just thought you're the craziest person on the planet. And now it's like people are drinking bought water out of a bottle, you know? Um, and Instead now of, everybody yeah. does it. Like people think water comes from a bottle. I think half the time, cause they're all afraid of, you know, we've been taught to be afraid of our water. 
And so um, I think that's interesting. But yeah, there's definitely things in there. So I'd like the mason jar for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. No, see, there's proof. It, everything just tastes and looks better in a mason there's jar. No, no shame <laughs> in walking around with a mason jar. Yeah. For sure. So um, I think, uh, you know, you guys, you guys do a little bit of hunting in the household, right? Yeah. But you, but you also yeah. supplement with some beef. We do. And what, what, what are all the things that you guys do as far as meat? So we raise all of our own grass-fed beef. And then we also raise our own organic pork out on the pasture. And then we raise all of our own chickens. So I have two flocks. I've got my laying hens that are just year-round for egg production. And then we get um, the Cornish Cross in the spring mm -hmm. and raise um, usually about 15 whole birds for, for the year. And then we butcher those ourselves. Um, and then that's all, that's our chicken for the year. And then we also actually, um, we are fortunate enough to where we live here is we're not too far from the coast. So we have just a small 17 foot little actually ski boat, but if you just stay in the bay, you yeah. can crab with it. Oh, so my yeah. husband has very strategically figured out how to put like six crab pots on the front of the boat. <laughs> and so we go out and crab and usually we're mm. lucky enough to catch enough crab for the whole year too. So then we come home and um, cook that and then we vacuum pack and freeze it. Freeze it you yeah. can can it too, but we usually just freeze that. And so then we've got enough crab that we kind of parcel it out throughout the year. Um, Perfect. Yeah. So, and then we do love to hunt. Um, grouse is actually probably my favorite meat of all time. I no love kidding. grouse. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. So when that season opens, I'm like so excited. I like, I'd rather have it than chicken and rabbit. Oh, I just love grouse. Anyways. Um, and then venison, if, if we're lucky, you know, yeah, we I get think your husband's he's out, out right now. Chasing him right now. Yeah. He's yeah. out chasing him right now. And then in <laughs> Washington state, inter interestingly enough, now we have, you know, the the roadkill if you hit a yeah. deer um have you guys taken advantage of that yet had opportunity to yeah yeah, yeah. perfect so boy yeah we get a couple every year from roadkill yeah it's awesome it, it really isn't <laughs> i just think it's such a blessing because before that was just you know it was, it was going wasted. to waste yeah, yeah. I, mean, I know they used to take good. them like you know the road crew come by and take them and pile them up somewhere and then it's just vultures and coyotes and uh yeah now you see a fresh kill you just get to throw it in the back and um call it in or yeah you know, call get, it, get your tag yeah yep. get your tag get online yeah. and, and type it in and um super easy and none of that venison goes to waste but yeah we've taken a few animals off the road fresh hit so i think it's yeah it's huge no point letting it go to waste for sure yeah yeah so we pretty, pretty i guess that's pretty much all all your <laughs> mainly all of our meat yeah is yeah. raised or harvested through you know hunting or Right. Fishing, that kind of thing. Yeah, oh, perfect. And you've always done that as a child. Your parents did the same thing, or so just I, with beef. Actually, growing up, we just we always had our own beef. My dad always had pretty large head of cattle, actually, so we always butchered and had our own beef. But um, when I was growing up, we didn't have chickens. Never did pork um, or any of that. So fifth generation homesteader. Yeah. Is that what you are? Fifth. I'm sure generation? it goes back farther because I, I yeah. hail from Mountain Stock and Appalachia. North Carolina. Um, but yeah, you know, my, my folks, um, and then on my mom's side, well, but as my dad's, you know, his parents and then their parents and then on yeah. back, and then you're getting into the 1800s when pretty much everyone was almost a modern right. homesteader. Your grandparents were dairy farmers though dairy farmers. on Whidbey Island since before even World War Two. Yeah. We're That's Dutch. pretty cool. We're Dutch. a Dutch family. So yeah. Went right into there dairy. Was, yeah. No, we're really lucky. The house my dad grew up in, which is just a, a Across the highway and over a creek <laughs> through the woods, um, but it's still standing. And yeah, it, there's the outhouse, and then at the sink there's a hand pump, 
And so you, you always kept water in a pitcher because you'd have to prime it usually in the morning again. And so you'd pour some down and pump it. But, and then of course everything was heated, you know, there was no electricity, so it was heated on the wood stove. But yeah, it's, it's amazing how lucky we are. Oh yeah. Really are. And yeah. you know, back then it was a lot of the time, you know, now most of it, you know, I worked outside of the home, you know, and Hillary, you do too. Yeah. But back then, you know, occasionally you might go and take a job, but your whole, all your job or your career essentially was doing all of that work and raising it all yourself and in the garden and, you know, doing all of that. It wasn't until just really recent in history that we had both, you know, parts of a couple working outside the home. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the part that I don't want to have lost, like for my children. Um, you know, we, we talk about it in the hunting realm all the time is, um, there's a lot of old ways that, unfortunately, I think in an urban environment, they're just, those things are getting lost. People have no knowledge of simple things, simple ways of life, and they would be completely confused um, and just lost in the woods, have no idea how to navigate or hunt or basic things, start a fire. And I think that's with kind of falls along the same lines with the food prep, um, you know, the gardening and just the basics type of lifestyle. Um, I want my daughters to know how to do it. That's why we we kind of have them be involved in all aspects, not just the hunting, but the gardening, the planting of seeds. They get to start it. They get to see it in the middle. They get to water it. They get to weed it a little bit, and then they get to help in the end process. So um, I don't know. I think that's super important, um, just knowing that those those that knowledge base is kind of getting passed down, and it just you know never goes away. Because I think where we are today is in a society where those could easily be lost Oh yeah. Um, as more folks move to that urban environment. Yeah. Well, that's kind of scary. It is. And, and I have to even say is, you know, even being a fifth generator generation homesteader, there's quite a bit that I'm still learning. Like when we first started butchering our chickens, I didn't know how to gut a bird. I right. mean, my husband had done grouse hunting and stuff, so he knew how, but I personally, I didn't know how you, you gutted one. Sure. And so, you know, he walks me through and he's like, no, you cut there. No, you got, you know, like, but you know, now I know, but I didn't. And so I'm really excited that my kids are growing up getting, you know, and they participate, they help, mm-hmm. you know, with all of that, but you know, they're getting that knowledge base that I didn't even necessarily have. And so sure. it's kind of like, you know, that proud That's moment. the best part about this life is it's, there's so much to learn. I mean, you'll never have it all figured out. There's so many new things and so many interesting ways you could change. And, um, you know, from not just gardening, hunting to foraging to, you know, food preservation, there's just so many different things that you can learn and figure out. Um, That's what makes it exciting and interesting for me. And that's why really like neck deep I'm in there and I want to keep learning. And that's why I follow you so much is because uh, you always come up with these creative little things I hadn't thought about. So it's oh, fun for me. You. Yeah. Well, I also think too, I think the exciting part about this is that, well, when I look at like the platform you've created from these kind of very simple, basic ideas, old, you know, things that you've learned and you're still learning, I think it's exciting. And we've come across this is that people are hungry for this stuff and they want there's a lot of people large percentage you know i wouldn't say a large percentage of the population but maybe there's a larger percent of the population that do see that their health and their 
their longevity and all these things are being affected by not experiencing these things. And so they are wanting to learn. They are wanting to become more health conscious. They are wanting to change their health problems. They are wanting to, you know, become a little bit, like you said, even if it just means, you know, having a pot on their, you know, a, a, a what do you call it? Apartment homesteader. Yeah. You know, they're doing little things because, um, people I think have, they're listening to that inner yearning that I think our DNA is kind of expressing through us because this is like really a part of the human gene, you know, the human itself as a physical structure and as a, as a, as an emotional being and as a spiritual person, there's a lot of connection to being connected to what you're doing whether that's going in your body or being connected to the animals or all these kinds of things. And so well, I think, we I think see such a big, like, like people just want this. They're just hungry. One for of the it. things that I think is really kind of pushing it right now is what, like we started the conversation talking about um, reality TV and how big it is with people living off the land. You know, a lot of that is hocus pocus and just made up nonsense. But subconsciously, I think people who are watching that, all of a sudden they're feeling like they've been disconnected from something mm -hmm. from the past. Like their heritage has been lost in a way they've, they've lost that connection. So being disconnected from food, um, it's just, it's so exciting when you get back into it and you start growing your own or hunting down your own or raising your own, um, something about it feels right. And I think people are kind of, they're, uh, you know, they're realizing that now, but I think, yeah, unfortunately, I think the, you know, what is not real reality TV, it's, it's actually just made up and they're getting coached on what to do. That has stirred the pot and gotten people thinking about that kind of basics type approach to yeah. life. Well, I think, I think you nailed it is it's about connection and relationship. And oftentimes we think of that as just being with one another, but in mainstream modern society, you have lost a connection with your food. I mean, where necessarily where it comes from, but even preparing it. And there's something about when you prepare a meal from scratch and everybody comes in, it just puts a whole different air in the house. I mean, and don't get me wrong. We have nights where it is crazy hectic and we're on the run. But when you're preparing the meal and then everybody comes and sits down, it's different than just pulling a pizza out of the oven and everybody grabs a slice and runs whatever direction they're going. There's, there's that connection that you have relationally yeah. over a meal that's been prepared. Right. And also then, like you said, when you go deeper, there's that connection with your food and it's human beings we were made for connection. Oh, yeah. And that's the element and people want it back. And two is you've got a lot of people who want to do it, but, you know, grandma and grandpa either didn't do it or going back another generation, they remember, but those people are gone and they didn't learn those skills. And so there's the desire to learn how to do it for their health and all those other reasons too. But I think that it's that connection to their past too, to the to, to loved ones and to that simpler time that we're wanting to reach back and connect there. So I think there's a lot of layers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think, yeah, like you said, um, like we, for example, everybody loves pizza, right? You buy a pizza from the store. You have no idea what's actually in there. You bake it, you take it out of the oven. It's just like, eh, it's like whatever. But if you make like you've canned the tomato sauce, like we make this cauliflower crust pizza and it's awesome. If you grow, grew the cauliflower, if you made that by scratch and you got venison on top, you know, salami of some sort that you hunted, um, you take that out and at the end of it, you kind of have a little smirk on your face. Like I did all that. Like that all came from me and it's just a completely different feeling. Like it it's is. not empty. Yeah. So. No. And I still do that. Like in fact, 
Ryan had some of the bread that I had just baked, uh, fresh yeah. baked bread. And I'm not telling you when I turned that loaf of bread out and I'm like, Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> like there, you just don't even, I've been baking bread for years, but I still get that. Yeah. It's a sense of accomplishment. It's probably oh, yeah. like, look at that. Like I did that. And you don't get that from the store. It was delicious, by the way. (laughs) I feel like baked bread, like fresh baked bread, it's probably like as rewarding when you make that as killing a deer. Because baked bread is like How would you know that, babe? I wouldn't know that. that? I've not killed a deer yet, so. But like making bread is kind of like a lot of work. It's patience. It requires you to like have it right. You know, you got to pay attention. You got to need it. You got to let it sit like all these things. And then you eat it. And it's just like, you're like, why do I ever buy store-bought bread? Right. It's, it's just disgusting now that I've eaten this. And so I, I feel, I feel that there's that, that essence of like, you know, um, accomplishment, accomplishment. And, and that, yeah, again, back to that, it might be hard work, you know, when you say to most people, all right, we're going to make bread today. They're like, uh, what? That sounds like a lot of work. Give me some crescent rolls out of the thing, pop them in the oven, you know? And, uh, it's, it's like, it's just this accomplishment, you know? And, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> I, so speaking of diet and baked bread, we were talking before the podcast that you are you're doing keto right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. We we're talking about how we're both, I've been playing with keto too and you're, you've done it before and you're doing it now and maybe just share a little bit of what, why you're doing that. Cause I know it's kind of the hip thing right now. Yeah. Isn't it fun? Yeah. It trend, trends are funny. Um, but a lot of good can come from trends. I have to say yeah. there's some bad, but there's some good. Yeah. So with keto is very interesting. So if your audiences, have you talked about keto before on the podcast? Are they familiar we with keto? We but I made one Instagram post where I posted my macros for the day and I got like, for my pot, for my Instagram, I got a lot of comments and people were like, we need a podcast. So we're going to have some people that yeah, are actual in, keto experts on. I think on. in the community, it's very big But right in now. the community, Definitely. it is because of the clarity and weight loss and all that. But. Yeah. So keto is where the majority of your nutrients for the day or your food is coming from a, a large source of fat. Right. And then you've got a smaller percentage of protein and even smaller percentage of carbs. And I actually first started doing it because I as I um, have shared with Hillary, is I have hypothyroidism. So it was about two and a half years ago, I was actually diagnosed with low thyroid and went on armor thyroid um, and adrenal gland issues and hormone issues. Just so much fun. Oh, you got it all. Got, <laughs> got it, it all. all got it all. And so I was having, um, I was just having a really hard time um, dropping a few pounds, which is honestly how I first found out about keto and decided I would try it. And I was, already was eating whole foods. I had cut out refined sugar. I wasn't even doing honey. And normally when I do that and I'm exercising well, then I can hit where I want to be fairly quickly and with ease, honestly. But here I was doing everything that had worked in the past and I was four weeks completely strict. I mean, I didn't cheat once and I didn't even drop a single pound. And then in one day, um, I gained like four pounds in one day and it was just like really inflamed and joints. I mean, part of it, I will be honest, was about the weight. But then a lot of the other part too was just the way I felt like, you know, I'm only in my mid-30s and I was having a lot of joint inflammation um, and just other hormonal issues. And so... I was um I had listened to some podcasts. Um, Shalene Johnson had had some yeah. out about keto and just these different things. And I thought, 
you know, <laughs> nothing else is working. I'm going to go ahead and try this and, and just see what happens. And so I started doing keto and it was amazing. Like within three days or less, actually, the mental clarity. And I didn't even realize that I was really inflamed as far as like, you know, we have a wood stove. So when you bend down to put wood in the fire, you're on your knees. And when you stand up, like I didn't even realize it hurt until three days later, it didn't hurt at all. And you could like look back and be like, oh, wow. Like I didn't realize, you know, mm -hmm. so there I was just like hooked immediately. And like I said, the mental clarity, no more that afternoon fog. Uh, my energy level was just really you know, even keel. There wasn't those ups and downs. And I used to be where um, I would get low blood sugar really easily. I would get, you know, like really shaky and feel like you're going to faint and get, you know, break out in a hot sweat and stuff if you, I, you know, didn't have yeah. went, went too long without eating or anything. All of that just completely gone. And then a great side benefit, I won't be honest, is the eight pounds that I wanted to lose was gone like really fast. <laughs> so that was fabulous too. But it was just all of it together. Um, you know, getting those insulin levels balanced and noticing a difference in hormones. I mean, it was just, it was like everything. I know I sound like a walking infomercial, but it was just really cool. And so, yeah, um, I just started back again because I wasn't following it and I could start to tell a really big difference. And I'm like, I've got to get stuff back in now. I'm not waiting until January 1st. We're going to do it now. So, yeah, I think this time of year, it's people think about like, oh, it's so hard to do keto, but I don't really find that it's that hard. It takes a little bit to get used to maybe the cycling and the fact that you're not eating sugar and the carbs is really low. That's the hardest part. But then you start feeling better and it just takes you a couple days to go off the wagon when then you're like, oh my gosh, like I really, I really don't like that. And I guess when I say off the wagon, I mean like, let's say Christmas day, you just go and you're just binging on all the sugar and the carbs and all that stuff, you know, just expect to feel like crap. The you're next just going to know that you're not going to feel good. Um, or maybe your symptoms come back and that's what really, I think that's what really, uh, for me, uh, what's the word it, it, uh, solidified that the keto I I haven't really don't think I've been in full ketogenesis yet I think just watching my macros eating more fat and decreasing my sugars basically no sugars and just simple carbs and vegetables that's pretty much I mean not simple carbs um, yes I'm just eating sugar uh, and it works <laughs> no, don't listen to that um <laughs> That's the new diet, the anti-keto <laughs> diet. Carbs. Just eat simple carbs all day. Um, you will get diabetes, but uh, no. Well, that's the true test, right? I mean, if you're doing it for a few weeks and you feel amazing and then you have one meal that completely goes against what you've been doing and you feel like garbage, yeah. like you told me that, that I happened to you. I think for me, what I noticed is the amount of time it takes, if you just start it, and even for me, like I said, I... I went to a lecture where Dom D'Agostino was there. He's like one of the biggest keto researchers ever. And I was having symptoms related, not feeling good. And I'm sitting there going, I need to do this because they were talking about neuroinflammation, neuroinflammation. And so I thought, I'm just going to try this. And what I went to that Thursday through Sunday, I came home. Monday, I started it. And I didn't even know what I was doing. Like, just started, I just did the fasting piece and then I started just eating more fat and I just cut out the sugars within like two days, three days, the symptoms that I were having just fastly just started decreasing. And I was like, whoa, that's like really fast. I mean, the that turnaround is, is very was fast, really fast for me. So 
I, I'm not, I'm still learning about it. And again, it's great having the podcast, getting to talk to people that are doing it having experts on that can help and understanding it. I got a ketone monitor and that thing frustrates me, but I, cause I don't think I've been into ketosis yet. So I'm like, ah, <laughs> but it's really intriguing, um, to, to see how fast you can start it and then, wow. And like, see results. Bam. Yes. And, and that's what I like about it. So a lot of people say it's very hard to be in keto all the time. That's almost for most people. That's kind of a misconception that you're in it all the time. Maybe you can be well, if you're I, really diligent. It just depends. I think right? It depends, and I think your body becomes. You'll hear this terminology, especially if you start to look up anything keto related, but fat adapted. Yeah, and I think for each person, that's probably going to be a little bit different. But you can just tell. And we are in a society. <laughs> that is so low fat, like everything needs to be low fat, that a lot of us aren't getting the fats. And when we're talking about fats, we're not talking about going and eating a bottle of Crisco. I mean, I'm talking real, real good quality fats. So extra virgin coconut oil, avocado oil, avocados, you know, my homegrown grass-fed lard, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, olive oil. So we're we're talking quality, quality fats that are higher in omega-3s, less of the omega-6s. I mean, there's, there's a lot there, but our brains actually need so much fat mm-hmm. in order. And that's where what's really fascinating with the keto research is dementia and Alzheimer's. I mean, the improvements that they see in our brain where a lot of this stuff, we don't know why are we having, you know, such this increase, but to be able to see that, that they're seeing, you know, real results with this within those, like that's just fascinating. And the other thing that I think is really actually cool about keto that I didn't even really notice until we were just talking about it right now, but as I've been doing our, our food prep and, you know, my whole family's not on keto. I'm doing keto and then I, you know, like I baked bread for my kids and my husband. And so, you know, they're still getting the other things, but it's pretty easy to adapt meals, or at least it has been for the most part to give them their complex carbs or, you know, the carbs that they're getting. And then I just have extra vegetables and, and extra fat. Right. So that part's been pretty easy. But what I've noticed is it's definitely more of a whole foods type diet for sure. But it's a lot more sustainable from things that we're able to harvest and grow ourselves mm-hmm. than probably any other thing that I've done because, you know, it's broth, which, you know, I was making beef broth. And yeah. then there's, you know, I use cheese and, and cream mm-hmm. and dairy. So if you have a dairy animal, of course, and then very, very vegetable based, which most people can grow vegetables, you know, wherever they're at. So right. I kind of find that fascinating too. I find that I find that the foods that we grow, like um, you know, I can eat all the greens out of the garden. I can eat, I can even eat kind of the canned stuff that we've made, the peppers and the onions, the beets. Like you know, I can't eat like a whole jar of beets, obviously, but right. I can have a few of these things, and then just more of the fat, and and uh, I feel I feel actually better. I feel feel satiated. I don't feel deprived. Um, I think that's the big thing about getting off sugar is once you can fully get off sugar, that feeling of deprivation gets better. I think sugar is really hard for people because they feel like they're being deprived of something Yeah, and they want it. But if you can, not that I'm not eating any, I have a little dark chocolate, like you said, but I, that's about it, you know, um, or fruit. Yeah, I still kind of believe in fruit. I like berries. You know, I these antioxidants, all that may be where I'm not getting into ketos. I'm yeah. having some berries or I'm having a little bit of apple or something. But you know, well, and it has to be something that, that's sustainable. And so you're going to, yeah. and like you said, those are, those are whole foods still. So, you know, it's just, 
you know, a quarter cup of berries as a serving or a half cup. Blueberries, I think, with the sugar content is usually a quarter cup is considered that. But your other berries, you know, a half yeah. cup or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, and, and like, you know, the berries, like I've got a ton of frozen berries because we've got our blueberry bushes and our raspberries and the fruit mm-hmm. trees. And so, again, that's all stuff that we can actually produce yeah. and grow here. Yeah. Um, that's in it. So yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting. And we're kind of circling right back though, to where the foods that you eat and how much they affect us. And it's just learning, you know, what works for you and what doesn't, but I just, yeah, it's all fascinating. Yeah. I learned a while back. I think a lot of people did who are real active, like hiking or hunting or doing these long, crazy trips that we do. Um, you know, for, like you mentioned, such a long while, there was that no fat, low fat craze. I think inflammation, like if you were to look at society as a whole, when there was that craze going on, I bet you inflammation was sky high oh, I'm as sure. far as most people. Because, yeah. man, introducing um, just something simple like um, chugging down a whole lot more coconut oil. You know, when Bulletproof Coffee came out, I think that changed a lot of people's worlds when they started researching and, and learning about what the advantages are to a higher fat content in your diet. And, uh, you know, I'm in my 40s. And in my 20s, when I didn't have this diet, it was more of a, there was more sugar, obviously, back then, a lot more. So inflammation was huge. I was getting sore on a big hike. Like, I could go do 10 miles. I'd be sore the next day. And for two days after that, I don't get sore anymore. And I can go do, um, you know, like we talk about the death hikes. We've got a 100-mile hike coming up this summer. and I did a 40 last year. I'm not sore at all. It's just, I think... I don't get inflammation in my joints like I used to. And no. I think all of that has to be, it has to be because of the diet and the addition of way more fats. Um, we, we chug through coconut. If I could make my own coconut oil <laughs> and grow avocados, oh, we would be set. I could grow a coconut yeah. tree and an avocado tree and a lemon tree. Uh, like, you'd be I so healthy uh, and we wouldn't have to go to the store as much. Yeah. But, but that has just changed my world and any athlete or, you know, somebody who does hard things, who's had inflammation in the past, just introducing all those good oils and fats into their diet. It's night and day. I mean, yeah, the inflammation is what hurts you on extended trips. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, guys hiking to PCT and, you know, doing, doing things that are just repetitively knocking down your, you know, inflaming your joints. So I, 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 uh, we've gotten a, quite a few, I don't know if you've gotten this. Um, there was a documentary that came out recently called what the health. I've heard of it, about, but I haven't okay. watched any so of we, it. I've had some emails from people and social media. People want to know about this movie and if it's bunk or if it's this and that. And I was like, I don't even know what it was. So I made Paley sit down with me one day and, uh, watch it. You're going on a hunting trip, I think. And it's a it's called what the health it's made and it's about how meat basically um, gives you diabetes and cancer and kills you right meat huh yeah <laughs> so meat like lunch meats and meat saturated fat the whole idea of saturated was fat, it all right? meats like oh yeah all like red well, meat? cold or... cuts and um well, i could see know, bologna i mean yeah you know yeah. i could see those but but um Hot and then and then they start talking term. about and then i mean they have some like cardiologists on there like you know very famous cardiologists on there basically talking about how sugar does not give you diabetes who funded this that fat gives you diabetes and i'm like what and i'm thinking to myself okay right things happen science changes research changes maybe they're right maybe sugar isn't what's giving everybody diabetes 
but now meat is giving people diabetes. So cardiologists are saying this. And so I watched it and I watched it with Paley and she's like, meat gives you, it's going to give me like cancer. I'm going to die if I eat meat. And I'm thinking, no, I said, you just got to watch this. Like I didn't even watch the whole thing. I was just to halfway through. I was like, this is craziness. So I did a little bit more research into it. Supposedly it was the guy who did it is a vegan. He was funded by some no vegan organizations. <laughs> and who knows if even what these cardiologists were saying was what we saw on there was they, you know, like you can splice, like talk about reality right. TV show, you can put whatever you want on there. And, um, and so for all of you out there who are like, who asked me the question if I watched this documentary and I would say like, I don't necessarily know for sure that, uh, meat doesn't give you diabetes or cancer, which we probably could do some correlation with certain types of meat would be higher in cancer. We know that with colon cancer, certain types of stomach cancers, all these, we know that there's certain types of meats, usually the nitrates and the way they're processed and cooked that create those nitrosamines and all that stuff in your gut. But that, that is just to, goes to show you that you have to be that this whole idea of fat is bad for you, um, you know, uh, this was a lot of this was started by the sugar lobby long, mm-hmm. long time ago to get you to buy more of these processed foods and more of the food in a box and more of the sugary cereals and more sugar. And so, you know, going back to how we're talking about eating, keto is really more of an ancestral diet, right? It's, yeah. it's fasting with eating higher fats when you have it around, then maybe in the summer when you have access to berries and vegetables and fresh kale in your garden, all these, you're eating more of that. And you're eating, you're eating moderate to low protein sources, which means you're not consuming large amounts of fat um, or protein in your meat, which is how it should be. You shouldn't be just eating meat all day long. Except right. now there's people out there who that's all they eat is raw meat too. So I heard that the other day. I'm like, Ugh. okay. But but what I think is is that the nice – the cool thing about keto is you really sit down and look at it. It's kind of more this whole fad of the ancestral living and the ancestral diet, which may have to be more like this homesteader thing of like living more with the seeds, was there a, having your garden. Was there a lot things. of diabetes way back in the day? Well, they probably they didn't have the testing of, of you know well, what I mean. Uh, how far back we're there's going. a lot of people that are walking around with either metabolic disease or pre-diabetes or even diabetes. They don't know it, um, but I would say back. What, what are you talking back in the day? Like a hundred no, I'm years talking ago? cavemen. How are cavemen with diabetes? No, I doubt it. Well, I, Total I read a study once somewhere that when we're and I don't remember how far back or even where this study was but you you were rich and you had money and you were royalty yeah you had gout you had diabetes you had neuroinflammation you have neurodegenerative diseases you had more psychological diseases um you had inflammation arthritis but if you were the poor man who ate the food that you grew in your field and you didn't have access to all that sugary processed food but you could spend that so many ways because look the poor man is probably out working the fields, getting more exercise. The rich fat man is probably sitting somewhere and not exercising, eating really rich foods. I mean, you could you could look at it in so many different ways. Yeah. I want to say that back, I'm going to say this was probably a, around the paleo time, but that averagely you had 17 grams of sugar a year back then. And then you have mm. that like in a day now and like in one soda pop. Right, yeah. right. 
Yeah. 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 The, the, the whole concept of sugar and the way our body processes sugar is very different. So back then you were eating berries, tubers, um, you weren't eating like, uh, I don't know, Twinkies. <laughs> oh, the Twinkie. <laughs> not, know. You know, you just, that wasn't even an option. So no. that's where you were only getting your small amount of sugar. Right. Well, yeah. back then there wasn't really processed sugar. I mean, you had honey if you were lucky, you know, oh, but yeah. it's not like you had today where we have our, you know, white table sugar, sure. even our brown sugar. It just wasn't. Well, you know, what's interesting back. is kind of the last note on this is that the same talk that I went to with the Augustino was they were talking about diabetes, metabolic disease, because they all, they all go hand in hand, neuroinflammation, yeah. metabolic disease, all these things, you know, go hand in hand, Alzheimer's cancer. And there is a tribe, uh, I forget the name of it and I'll put it in the show notes, but they, there was a, one of the lectures talked about a tribe, um, I want to say in kind of the Papua New Guinea area where this tribe of guy, uh, people live and they, their main intake is carbohydrate and they mainly get it through honey and there's no metabolic disease. There's no diabetes. They're all, they showed a picture of like, um, these men, they're all thin, very muscular, um, long and lean. There's, and, uh, they're actually a protected tribe. The country that they're from has protected them as a species, quote unquote, because they realize that the introduction of the modern world is basically going to come in and destroy them. And so they're where they live in this place where they live is protected. Like they, oh, wow. so they only let so many Westerners in and et cetera, et cetera, to be exposed to this. That's fascinating. So this is the other thing is what type of carbohydrate yeah. are we eating that's causing the diabetes? Yeah. And maybe it's not what we think. So um, that's something to think about too. And I'll put that in the show notes, but interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. 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 So um, we know you have to go. Yeah. Sorry. I got to get kiddos off the school um, bus. <laughs> yes. Real life, right? Real life. Well, um, is there anything else you want to say? And we're going to have you on again. We can talk. I mean, she's, we've had her on gardening, seeds, soil. I mean, yeah. We'll yeah. be doing Melissa's more stuff. Yeah, a wealth her. of knowledge. So, yeah. oh, you guys yeah. are so Brian's much fun. hero, as he said. Oh, I feel like I've learned podcast. just as much from our, from our talks as, as y'all have from me. So, sorry, Gritty Bowman, but um, I listen to more Melissa K <laughs> than I do you these days. <laughs> Well, let me just say that she, you have created quite a platform um, for this market. You like you're, you are being a pioneer in this field and bringing in, you know, the homesteading, healthy living, um, self-sufficiency, uh, you know, uh, faith, family. These are all really important things to us. These are important things to you. And there's a large percent of the population out there that are really, really, like I said, hungry for this information. And you've done an amazing job. And now that you're able to do this full time and do that is pretty cool. And and uh, everybody, make sure you get the books, The Made from Scratch Life and Handmade, both from Melissa K. Norris. Yeah. And if you go to each of the book's websites, I've got some pretty cool bonuses for anybody. It doesn't matter where you buy it. You yeah. know, get it online or in bookstores. Okay. Um, but yeah, especially with Handmade, which is the newest one, I've got three bonus videos. So I teach you how to make sourdough starter from scratch. How to make homemade donuts. So my kids and my mom are in that one, which was really fun. Um, and then how to get started with fermenting. So to make your own fermented vegetables and stuff. Oh, and there's there's some other fun stuff in there too. But I've got that bonus video series to help you jumpstart. So yeah. yeah. Cool. And then your website. 
is just a wealth of knowledge. So get on there. You've got an academy on there. Like, wow, lots of information. And we appreciate you being on and letting yeah, us come absolutely. out and feeding us. Yeah, thanks for letting us come out. And, oh, it's been so much fun. I'm so <laughs> glad you guys came. I was so excited. <laughs> yeah, cool. I got to eat some homemade bread and uh, some really good soup. Woo-hoo. It's yeah. delicious. You got to take some cookies for the road. Absolutely. I'm going to give you some soap, too. I got to go grab it out of this cupboard. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, All right. Melissa. Thanks, again. thanks. Thanks, guys. The Hunt Harvest Health Podcast and Stealthy Hunter LLC website is for general health information only. This podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment of any health condition or problem. Any questions regarding your own health should be addressed to your own primary care physician or other health care provider. If you have more questions related to naturopathic care and possibly setting up a consult with Dr. Hillary, please go to our website at huntharvesthealth.com slash medical consults or email us at lampers at stealthyhunter.com. Please note, without direct medical consult, all correspondence is only a recommendation and cannot be considered medical treatment.